Welcome to City Church. City Church is a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church, encouraging everyone to follow Jesus and serve others. We're excited to share this sermon with you today, and you can always find out more about us online at citychurchseville.com. I grew up loving sports. I played every sport I could. And the reason for that was, is I grew up on a farm and my parents valued sports. So if you played sports, you could get off the farm instead of working. So I played every sport I could find. Literally, I played soccer, little league baseball, ice hockey, and wrestling. Did everything I could find to get off the farm. And yet, when my son was born, God blessed me with a child that hates sports. Doesn't like them at all. Can't see why anyone would like sports. Although I had an experience with him in high school where uh, the school he attended, everyone had to play a sport. And so he tried out for squash. They had squash courts at the high school where he attended, and so he tried out. And he actually was quite good. And uh, so he learned how to play much to my disbelief as a parent, as competitive as I am, he actually was throwing games so that he would not make varsity. He only wanted to make JV. And the reason why he only wanted to make JV was because if you made varsity, you couldn't be in the high school play. So he was throwing games. I couldn't believe it. I'd never thrown a game in my life. That's like the ultimate sin is to throw a sports game. I mean, how could anyone do that? Long story short, and the reason why I share that is I had an experience with him in high school where uh, he was playing squash, and I went and watched him, and I realized he was actually quite good. And I'll never forget when he beat a kid from another high school, and the kid was the captain of the JV team, and my son beat him, and my son could have cared less that he won. It was irrelevant, and it made it all the worse for the guy that had lost because it was completely obvious that Peter could care less. So at one point, my son said, hey, Dad, why don't you come and play squash? I'd like to play you. Well, every sport we ever did, I would win. So I had played racquetball, and I'd played tennis, and I thought, how hard could this be? So the first signal that I was in trouble should have been when I got on the squash court, and I got ready to play him, and he said, hey, Dad, listen, you have to whack the ball off the floor to warm it up so that it even bounces. So in the back of my head, I'm thinking, what a dumb game right? So we begin to play. I ran around that squash court like a chicken with my head cut off. No clue what I was doing. I was slamming into the wall and literally had no idea what I was doing. I didn't score a point, not a single point. And he just whooped me. I honestly do think he gloried in that just a little bit. And finally, I was so frustrated. And I said, son, he goes, dad, listen, Here's what you need to know about squash. If you play squash, you have to control the center of the court. That's what it's all about. And by the way, I checked up on that. I just watched the 2020 World Championship. I went online, Googled it, found it. It was played in Qatar. And the best players in the world, that's exactly what they do. They jostle for position to control the center of the squash court. That's what it's all about. Now, the reason why I share that is this is that we're going to take a look at the Sermon on the Mount again this morning. 
And as we do it, what you have to understand is that the Sermon on the Mount is all about Jesus being at the center. If we remove Jesus from the center of the Sermon on the Mount, very specifically the Beatitudes, we're going to look at the second half of those this morning, but if you remove him from the center, the Beatitudes become formulas. They don't work as formulas. But if we keep Jesus at the center, the Beatitudes actually work. Now listen, the first four were about lack about not having what you need. That's the first four. We looked at those for a couple of weeks. It was about being poor in spirit. It was about mourning. It was about being meek and hungering, thirsting. You're lacking. What we're going to look at this morning is the shift in the Beatitudes, which is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to take a look at that shift where we move to the second half. What I'd like to call this is our callings. The first four are lack. What we're going to look at now is our calling through the Beatitudes. Well, here we go, Matthew chapter 5, verses 7 through 12. Now, if you have never read the Bible before, totally fine. If you're checking out Jesus, that's great. Picture this, though. Here Jesus is. He's got a very eclectic group of people. He's on the side of a mountain. He sits down, and he begins to teach. This is the inaugural announcement of the kingdom that he's ushering into the world. And so he sits down. And in the second half of the Beatitudes, which are the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. One of the theologians that taught me on this chapter in in the Sermon on the Mount says that Jesus says here, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you, not because you're an idiot, It's because of following Jesus. Huge difference. Reading on. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Again, the second chunk of the Beatitudes are our callings as followers of Jesus. In other words, if you are not a follower of Jesus, I want you to pay attention, but this isn't for you. This is for people who call themselves Christians and our followers of Jesus. And here's the first one, Matthew 5, 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the merciful, Jesus in the middle, for they will be shown mercy. 35 years ago this summer, I was working on a custom carpentry crew. My dad had raised me, trained me and my two brothers in carpentry. So I was working on a custom carpentry crew. It was the summer between my junior and senior year in college, exactly 35 years ago. Might have even been this month where this event took place. So I was working on this custom carpentry crew, and it was a memorable job. And the reason why, the house we were building, the parents that were having the house built had seven kids. And they were building seven bedrooms. Now, if you do the math, you go, well, wait a second now. Seven, what? There was a set of twins. 
So the twins had a bedroom. The parents, each kid had their own and own bathroom. I'll never forget this house. But halfway through the summer, about halfway through the summer on this carpentry crew, I'd gotten to know the guys and I was doing some basic framing and we were sitting down over lunch and I noticed this guy who was always upbeat. He was just a little older than me. He was newly married and you could just tell he wasn't doing well. You could just see it on him. So we sit down, we open up our lunch together and we're all sitting there. There's about eight of us that were carpenters. He was a very talented carpenter, by the way. And he was sitting there and someone said, hey man, what's wrong? And he said, well... He said, you know that I'm a tile guy. And we all knew that. He was very vocal that his goal was to quit being a carpenter and he was going to open up his own tile business. So every day when I would go goof off as a college student, he would go home, say hi to his wife, and then he would head to a job laying tile in a home. So every evening and every weekend he was laying tile. That's what he did. What ended up happening though was he did a month-long tile job on a guy's house. All month tiled tons of bathrooms, all kinds of stuff. And at the end of the month, they did the walkthrough. And when they went to walk through together, they looked at everything. My friend that worked with me as a carpenter said, is everything okay? The guy said, amazing job, great job. And my friend turned to him and said, hey, you know, I'd, I'd like final payment. He owed him probably about over half of the labor. And the guy looked at him and he said, you know something, son, I'm not gonna pay you. He said, what? Is there a problem with the job? Nope, no problem with the job. I just don't want to pay you, and I'm not going to. And the reason why was they had no contract. This young man had done all of his work with a handshake. He believed that the way life worked was that people would give their word and keep their word, and if you shook their hand, that was their bond, and you could trust it. He believed that. And the guy never paid him. Never paid him. And so here he was sitting on the job and he was absolutely devastated. Newly married, the guy owed him a huge chunk of money. He was never gonna see the money. And we were sitting there. And of course, the guy that I worked for began to talk to him about contracts, was really good to him in helping him. But as I sat there, I watched him come to the sad realization that what he thought to be true about people and how things work wasn't true. And as that lesson dawned on him, that lesson dawned on me. And I vicariously learned that lesson in life. He was devastated. Over the next couple of weeks, you could see his mood go back up. The contractor that I worked for got him more jobs, helped him get contracts, helped him get set up and on his own feet. He did eventually bounce back. But you see, he had a belief, there was an equation in his head that he believed was true. And many of us, when we read Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, we read that verse that says, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And the question has to be, who shows the mercy? I think many of us believe, as we look at this verse, at this beatitude, we believe, well, if I'm merciful then people will show me mercy. That's how it's going to work. In other words, Jesus is saying that he's ushering in this new kingdom, and if I'm merciful, it's going to kind of put mercy out there, and then mercy's going to come back to me. But I hate to tell you, that isn't true. It isn't true. 
As a matter of fact, I have found that at times when I was merciful, I was rebuked for it. I think over the last 31 years of myself being in full-time ministry, and there were times where by the leading of the Holy Spirit, I felt led in one context to bring rebuke, but in another context to bring mercy. And when I brought mercy and was merciful, because I believed that's what God was calling me to do, there were people around me that began to say, he is soft on sin. That's really what this is. I had other people come to me and say, Pete, you're just scared to stand up and confront things. You would think that if you're merciful, mercy would come back to you. But that's absolutely not what Jesus means at all. As a matter of fact, the word merciful is only used two times in the Bible, this exact word. The first one is in the Sermon on the Mount. We just read it. Blessed are the merciful, for they'll be shown mercy. The other time this word merciful is used is very fascinating. It's found in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 17 through 18. And here's what the scripture says. For this reason, he, meaning Jesus, had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a what? Merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. What does this text tell us? This text tells us that God incarnate, Jesus in the flesh, became human in every way like us so that he would become what? Merciful. That's fascinating to me. That Jesus took the human journey so that he could be merciful to you and to me. Now let's go back to that equation view of the beatitude. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. I have a question. Did Jesus show mercy? Was he merciful in the Gospels to people? Absolutely. He catches a woman in the very act of adultery. She's brought before him. What does he show her? Mercy. We see it over and over again. Now, I have a question for you. Was Jesus shown mercy? No. He wasn't. Jesus' whole ministry was merciful. But when his time came to receive mercy, he received none. None. And so what Jesus isn't talking about is some false equation where if you're merciful, it will come back to you. That is not what Jesus is talking about at all. As a matter of fact, history is replete. History is replete with individuals even with entire countries who were at one point begging for mercy. And when they received it, they slowly moved into the authoritative position and they crushed those that they had asked mercy from. It's fascinating. Oftentimes, people that have received mercy don't show it. As a matter of fact, the most difficult parable that Jesus ever teaches is in Matthew chapter 18. And in there, it's a parable about a guy who receives mercy because he has a massive debt. He goes before the guy that he has the debt to. The guy shows him mercy, lets him off the hook, 
doesn't force him to pay, doesn't put him in prison, and that guy who's just received mercy goes to someone that owes him less and crushes the guy and crushes him. You see, just because you give mercy or receive mercy doesn't mean that you'll be merciful. What I believe Jesus is talking about is this. Matthew 5, 7. Blessed are the merciful, Jesus, for they will be shown mercy. Not from people, but from Christ. That's where the mercy is shown. So the idea then is this. Is that because Jesus Christ has shown Pete Hartwig mercy and Jesus has been merciful to me, then I will show mercy to others when they don't deserve it, don't ask for it, haven't earned it. I will do that because Christ has shown me mercy. But I think a lot of Christians are groups of people that have not fully experienced the mercy of Jesus. They haven't. His mercifulness has never truly filled their soul. And because of that, they're not merciful. They don't show mercy to others. So I have a question for you. Are you that type of a Christian? Where when you gain the power, you take revenge instead of showing mercy. Is that what happens? Do you ask for mercy and then when you get it and somehow the tables are flipped and now you're on top, you exact revenge. That's what Jesus is speaking about because all of the people on the mountain on which he's delivering that sermon, they are not the leaders. They are not the people with authority. They are not the winners. As a matter of fact, most of them are the losers in life. And yet Jesus speaks to them and says, blessed are the merciful. All of the people on the mountainside with him are oppressed people. All of them. Rome is crushing them. And Jesus speaks to them. Be merciful. If you do, you'll be shown mercy. So the question is for you and for me, have I received the mercy of Jesus fully? Here's one way to think about it. Is there a sin in your life that whenever you think of it, it crushes you? When you step into God's presence, there's an unfaithful voice from an unfaithful source that'll whisper to you and say, because of this, God doesn't really love you. Because of this, you're outside of God's best. There's that one thing. What we're gonna do right now is in faith, we're gonna take that one thing to Jesus and you will discover a mercy that you will find nowhere else. And then instead of that sin being something that crushes you, it's going to be the landscape of God's mercy in your life. Because I think many times followers of Jesus don't show mercy because we've never received it and experienced it from Christ. Because if he's in the middle of that equation, we need to experience that. So here's what we're gonna do right now. We're gonna stop, and whether you're at home or here in the sanctuary, we're gonna take a moment, we're gonna close our eyes. Is there something in your life that whenever you think about it, it crushes you? Whatever that is, whatever's been done, whatever that is, 
I'd like for us to all take a moment and bring that to Jesus. And bringing it to him, we say, Jesus, forgive us for what we've done. Have mercy on my soul. And in the set of shame and guilt and separation from you, Jesus, let me experience the fullness of your mercy. That you would be merciful to all of us in the midst of that struggle. Fill us with your mercy so that we can offer it to a world that so desperately needs mercy. God grant that in Christ's name, in Jesus' name. The next beatitude that we're going to look at is Matthew 5, 9. It says, blessed are the peacemakers. You'll notice that I skipped over one of the beatitudes. We'll come back to that in a moment. But now we're going from blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy, to blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Again, most people read that and they see a human equation. That if a peacemaker shows up, everyone cheers and says, there's a child of God. Have you ever been a peacemaker? I have, countless times. And the reality of it is, people cheer when you first show up. But after about 20 minutes, they're no longer cheering. If you think peace, being a peacemaker is a fun place to be, you've never done it. Because usually what ends up happening, and pastorally I've been called into context for over 30 years, and here's what I know, I'll be called into a context where there's brokenness, dysfunction, people are warring with each other, and I'm asked to step into the middle, and I know before I do, I will be labeled as the problem before the thing is done. I've observed this over and over again. You're called to be the peacemaker, And when you step into the middle and you begin to bring Jesus in the wisdom of God, all of a sudden, you're the problem. I literally had to say in one context to something that was happening, I literally had to say to the two people, because they turned on me at the third meeting and said, you're the problem. I said, wait a minute, time out. You came to me and your house was on fire. Mine wasn't. And you asked me to step into the middle of your fire. And I did. And now I lit the fire. I don't think so. The idea is this, is being a peacemaker is the calling of Jesus. And what I clearly know is that Jesus needs peacemakers now more than he ever has before. People who are willing to stand for him in the midst of factions that are warring with each other and are willing to stand and be a people who bring peace, who bring peace. You know what's interesting is that that word for peacemaker is only used once and you just read it. Blessed are the peacemakers. It's the only time it's used in all of scripture. But there's a close cousin to the word peacemaker and it shows up in Colossians 1, 19 through 20. And here's what the text said. I want you to catch this. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. That means Jesus. So Colossians says that the fullness of God dwells in Jesus and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth 
or things in heaven, what are the next three words? By making peace. There's the close cousin to the word peacemaker, and this is the only place this word appears in all of Scripture. By making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So here's the question. Does it sound like being a peacemaker is an easy thing? Not at all. That's why the Beatitudes call us to it. Because it's a difficult, uncomfortable position to be in. So as we look at these Beatitudes, we discover that Jesus calls us to be people who are merciful. He calls us to be peacemakers. And then we look at Matthew chapter 5, verses 7 through 9. I just want to read it again. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Please catch this clearly. All of the return is future tense. It's not immediate. They will be shown mercy. They will see God. They will be called children of God. It's future tense. This is not an equation. As we live for Jesus in this world and we're called to be people who bring mercy and are merciful, we are called to be people who are peacemakers, who get before warring factions and bring in the wisdom of God. What we discover is that blessing has Jesus in the middle. And it's clear in the Greek it's not immediate. It's a future thing, not immediate. So if we believe that these beatitudes are equations, we'll quit. But they're not. They're future tense. And Jesus will absolutely fulfill his end. What we discover is, as we close out this section of the beatitudes, we read the following three verses. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Does that make more sense to you now? That when you're a peacemaker and you're merciful and you step into the world with those realities, you will be persecuted if you get involved in these things. And notice what it says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus goes on, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil things be against you because of me. He says, rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward where? Aha, it's not here. It's future. It's in heaven. For great is your reward in heaven for the, in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. They're going to persecute you. As we put feet to our faith with this calling to be merciful, to be peacemakers, notice what's in the middle, to be pure in heart. Why does Jesus put that in the middle? To me, it's simple. Because if you're showing mercy and you're a peacemaker, we always have to watch our heart. Because we believe if we bring mercy... We're going to get mercy back. It's not going to happen. We believe as peacemakers, everyone will cheer when we walk into the room. 
and they won't. So we always must make sure that we're staying pure in heart, especially in the days in which we are living. As I think about the days in which we're living, I think that the call of Jesus through the Sermon on the Mount is so timely that you and I would commit that in the midst of something that's heated, we would always be merciful. That in the midst of a world in which we're now living where people are more polarized than ever, we would ask that Jesus would place us in areas where we become peacemakers. But here's what I want to say, and I want to say it clearly. The only way you and I can be peacemakers is to bring Jesus with us and to share the gospel when we go to make peace. I believe in the world in which we live, there's a lot of great people who are doing a lot of great efforts, and they're trying. But I believe... Without Jesus, there's not going to be true peace. There isn't. And so if I'm going to show mercy, I do it through Christ. And if I'm going to be a peacemaker, I'm doing it while I share the gospel of Jesus because it's the gospel that transforms hearts and transforms lives. Jesus is at the center of my life and is called to be at the center of yours He's at the center of the Beatitudes. And the only way we can live them is that if he's there and we take him with us as we do what he's calling us to do.